Welcome back to Agile Parents Podcast. When we tell people that we are not sending our kids to government schools, the first response we normally get is, oh, you don't want your children to be educated. You're against education. And nothing could be farther from the truth. So I just want to set the record straight. We're not against education. We're against compulsory education. And what do I mean by compulsory education? If you don't have children and you own property, part of your property taxes go towards education. If you never intend to use the school, you still have to pay the salaries and everything that goes towards a government school. Even if your school is failing, even if you live in the worst neighborhood, you still need to pay for a service that you consider either subpar or completely counterproductive. The poorest of people don't normally have the ability to relocate their family to a location where they can have adequate education, and yet they're still required to pay for services that are not benefiting them. And what always fascinated me is that usually the wealthier people that live in the wealthy neighborhoods are paying incredible amount of taxes, yet still don't send their own children to public institutions. Usually they're sending their children to private institutions, possibly like the cooperative that we're talking about today. And the teachers that work at these institutions are usually being paid much less for the equivalent position of a public teacher. So the richer people, the more wealthier people, are deliberately paying a little bit extra to send their children to schools where the teachers there, on average, are being paid less than public school teachers. How does that happen that the poorest people don't have the option to do that, but the richest people do? And yet, a common response is, we need public education because the poorest of the poorest people, they don't have anywhere to turn to. Yet, the poorest neighborhoods usually have the worst quality of education. So I want to leave you with a critical thinking question. Would we be better off if services that people wanted, such as education, were non-compulsory, where the government was not involved? What would happen to the quality of education for all? And without further ado, I give you episode two, the Agile Parents Podcast. Welcome to Agile Parents. Today we're talking to Hilary Fandel, a teacher at the Montclair Cooperative School here in New Jersey. I met this beautiful human being in 2012. At the time, I was looking for alternatives to public school. It was clear to me that the standard school model was not serving children, so I visited a number of different schools, including democratic free schools and Montessori schools, but I was impacted by none the way I was when I observed Hillary's classroom. And that's why we're talking to Hillary today. I've had the privilege of assisting Hillary, and this woman has had such an impact on me as a teacher. The classroom culture she creates, and really the cooperative as a whole, is one of the most peaceful places I've ever been, a place where adults and children alike are treated with respect and tolerance. We consider Hillary to be an expert in early childhood education, as she has been a teacher of young children for 21 years with an amazing ability to facilitate project-based learning, a teaching method in which students gain knowledge and skills by working for an extended period of time to investigate and respond to a complex question, problem, or challenge. Hillary, thank you so much for joining us. Lovely to be here. Thank you. 
We'd love to pick your brain about your philosophy and to tell our listeners what exactly a cooperative school is. Something that really impacted me from being with you in the classroom was that you never, well, I never witnessed you yelling at a child or shaming a child. I've never seen you punish a child. I've never seen you give a child a timeout. And I'm wondering where, did your parents never do that to you? Or what was kind of like the way that you came of the way that you relate with children? Like, was it something that you got from your parents or something that came later on in life? My parents were very tolerant. They were very open-minded. And I think I am too. And also I've noticed, and people have said that as me, that I'm very non-judgmental. So there's no judgment ever. So there's always forgiveness and an acceptance of all beha- most behaviors until unless it's really radically an inappropriate. So it's a very understanding atmosphere. And we all make mistakes. The children are, are hopefully making mistakes because that's how they learn. And they see my mistakes. They see our mistakes as adults. And we just have to, we're all learning together. It's a, it's a wonderful place, the co-op, because we, we are very intimate with one another and know each other so well. Each child gets to attention. I love what you just said there about children making mistakes. And hopefully they are making mistakes because that's how they learn. I'm curious to know. Did your parents ever spank you? Mm. <laughs> yes. I do remember once I took my brother's comic book collection and I did get spanked and I saw the welts on my tushy. It happened once. He was protecting, he was defending my brother, my father was. I, I was bad and I, I think I deserved it. You just judged yourself. Oh, oh my goodness. Someone who doesn't myself, judge. Myself, I can judge. I do my job. <laughs> Right. Nobody else gets judged. <laughs> so one of the things that we want to give our listeners is more awareness around the way they relate with their children and the consistency that they apply to that relationship. And it's interesting what you just did there, and I think we're all guilty of it one way or another, where we have different standards for ourselves than we have for children. And in your case, you seem to have a more gentler standard for children than you have for yourself, which is interesting. And then, you know, I think most people, they'll have, you know, they'll be quicker to forgive an adult for making a mistake than they would, you know, forgiving a child who has, you know, infinitely less cognitive ability, you know, experience on this planet. And I just found that uh, interesting how you did that. And again, I think that we're all guilty of doing that, you know, one way or another. Another thing we also want to bring to our listeners is options in the way they educate their children. Can you tell us a little bit how different the school is that you work at, you know, and give us maybe a contrast from the school compared to a public school? It's quite different even than a typical private school. It's very family oriented. The families own it. They're in charge, basically. Parents run it. There's a board of parents that approve bylaws and make, and they run and they, they're, they're responsible for the success and for keeping it going in, in many ways, financially, in every way. And we're, and the teacher end, it's, they we're responsible to make sure we are on the cutting edge of any educational ideas or philosophies. It's different because parents are in the classroom. We are not hiding from anyone. We want people to, we want to share the, the teaching and we want to share the learning. Uh, we can learn from more from one another and the more the better. Parents come have all different types of experiences themselves to bring to the table and 
and it's wonderful that the parents can learn and learn about their child's classmates and know their parents and know what they're learning about and, and ask them about it in the, at the end of the day so they can really uh, deepen their learning and, and show them how involved they are in, in this important part of growing growing up. In that you said that the, the parents own the school on a day-to-day basis. Like what exactly does that look like? Well, there's all sorts of meetings all day going along. There, there are committees, so many different committees, parent ed committees, financial committees. Uh, and there are parents like there each day. Is, is that right? And in a classroom, we have two parents. Ultimately, uh, ideally, there's a parent in the morning and a parent in the afternoon. So each family has to assist for about six hours per month. That means two mornings or afternoons a month, just two times. But that's wonderful because, you know, it gives us, the teacher and the assistant teacher, more time to be with the children and not worrying about cleaning up the dishes and and sweeping the floor, which is very important and cleaning up because that's it gets very dirty with all the pe- children running around and, and having fun and learning and taking things out and exploring. Or, th- or that term, it takes a village, you know, to, yes. to raise a child. It yes. seems like this environment actually is a, a group of people coming together and all mutually benefiting from this. Um, it seems like so much more personal and so much more intimate compared to a, a typical private or, or, or public school. That's exactly it. And that's why I am there because I know these children and I will know them when they're older and I will, I know what happens after school and I can ask them, how was their skating or how, how did they like, going to the theater with their parents. I just know what's happening in their lives. And, and that, that makes an intimate relationship. And it's all about relationship. And I tell everybody, this is it. It's all about relationships. That's all education is. It's relationships with your peers. It's relationships with your, the adults that are guiding you. It's relation. And, and once you can do that, once you can master that, you got it made. Right. Cause it's more about the connections, really connections. feeling that connection and feeling that like empathy for one another in that feeling safe that you can, that you're feeling that connection with someone else, then you're able to uh, learn and actually right. have the space for, feel for com- learning. Feel comfortable, feel, feel safe yeah. to make those mistakes and to be able to make mistakes and to know that that's what you let, how you learn from mistakes mm-hmm. and to feel safe to contribute. And that's only, that's connections really only possible, would you say, because of the, teacher child ratio because the small of- classes are very important yes i think you can't get lost you can't get the children are known more you have more time with each child then i'm wondering too because in comparison to public schools it is kind of like public schools can seem to be like almost like a warehouse of children or you yeah, know like yeah. this huge big warehouse of children and i'm wondering if it were if they could if they could still get more adults in the classroom and still have larger cla- class sizes. You know, if it's a 40, 40 children in the class and you have, I don't know, six adults or more, would it still be, could you still make those connections? I wonder. Well, no, I think not because, because it's limited. The adults in there are limited. That's the, the information goes to those two adults instead of to six adults. So you're going to miss something if there's six adults sharing information. Mm. Uh, we tried that a little bit. And mm-hmm. it, 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 I missed it. It was, it was so, cause some children, uh, will, will naturally go toward one ad- another adult, maybe, you know, and you're not necessarily going to be the focus of that child's 
questions.、Mm-hmm. So if there's more choices for them, then、mm-hmm. uh, you might not have it all under your belt. I love the that there's more involvement. It just seems that you know I I can't speak for the mindset of people that send their kid to public school, but when I imagine being someone that is not as as involved as the parents that are in your school, it's almost as if like, well, it's not my responsibility, so I'm going to absorb all my own responsibility. I'm going to give it to this institution to take care of this aspect of their lives, and it's almost like there's a complete. Detachment, or it's like from from seven thirty till three thirty. I don't、mm. even know or care what goes on there, except、right. a grade that comes home, and I'm not going to be involved、yeah. in my child's life other than you know making sure they do their homework. Or and it's and it just seems like such a、um, huge like divide or separation from you know building that relationship. Right, and I am so these parents that do make this commitment. It is a commitment, and it is a it's big. And I, I we realize that we realize that, and so we are very grateful to them for their time and their support, because this is a big decision, and it takes a lot of time to an involvement out of their their own personal life. Instead of the me, 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 they're really sharing them, themselves. True, but and I think also when you say that, what comes up for me is a lot of parents. I mean, to be fair to them, it's like. They have to work, you know. They their main、mm. priority is to make money to provide or to, to、yes. yeah, bring home the bacon. For them, it's like, well, I would love to be involved, but、mm, I just can't. And I mean, also, you could. There are parents that, well, can you? Is that really true? Can you do something to to be more involved? Can you sacrifice maybe something to be more involved? But I think that's the main. Thought process for most working parents is well. We need two incomes nowadays. You need two incomes. But here they're paying. They're paying for this, and so they really need to work. They、mm-hmm. really need to. It's big sacrifice. Big, big. So, so we're there for them. So they're、anyway. doing both.、Right. Yeah, and, they're doing both. And so they, they're so they the parents that are yeah the parents that are there. They're they're paying more and they're they're giving more time. And you know, speaking from like a, a cost benefit analysis, what What are the parents that are are doing this? What is what is this investment? How does this investment pay off for them in the long term? Oh, just closeness with their child. They really know their child. Also, they 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 are also befriending these other parents who are in the same type of mindset, and so there there's a closeness there. I hope, and they they build friendships and and、uh, relationships together and support one another, and then they know that they just know. The relationships are rather strong, and they will be lasting, probably their entire lives. We hear stories about people in touch from their kindergarten class, or、mm-hmm. still that had left. I mean, it's very.、Uh, people come back, like they come back, even if they do leave before the eighth grade, they come back and visit,、mm-hmm. and、uh, they, or they keep in touch with the with the children that they had in their own their peers still.、Uh, so it's it's all about relationship again. It goes back to relationships and.、Uh, Memories, strong memories are made. There's a lot of time spent in the real world together, and trips at the school. A lot of trips.、Uh, they, they, there's a lot of social, social justice work being done in every class, every single class, and that's important. So there's a lot of our philosophies going with them, and、uh, a lot of work. They're learning through a lot of these different areas that become important later in in their lives. They become very self. Aware and self-confident when they leave, so parents see that, and they say, "Well, that's the payment."、Mm-hmm. You know, you 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 
you are, who you are. You're not a robot. You didn't have to line up 20 times in the same way. You didn't have to sit at that desk. You didn't have to, you could be who you are. And who knows, you know, what creativity that could lead to because creativity is massively important mm-hmm. and free thinking and letting them come up with the ideas and, and, and follow them through, which and having the time to do that. A lot of some, you know, if they're taking tests, they don't have time to do that kind of thing. Yeah, and there's um, some specific things I heard about your school where you're on a first name basis with these yes, children and yes. they're, <laughs> they're like five or six years old. Is that, yes. so can you, can you speak a little bit about that? Why, why is everyone on a first name basis? Why, why do they do that? Yeah. Well, we just think that uh, respect comes, doesn't come in a name and that, you can why not be in a first name basis? Uh, it's uh, it's it, that's a sort of a cultural thing. Also, there are families who who can't get through that, and so I'm a Miss Hillary. But but sometimes it's it's very cute when I hear the kids. Hillary, yeah, Hillary, Hillary. Or, or, it's or, with a W, not an I. <laughs> Hillary, Hillary, Hill. Or it comes down to Hilly, Hilly, <laughs> Hilly. Why? <laughs> can I have a crayon? <laughs> Hilly, where are the crayons? Oh, and it's such a term of endearment. It's so cute. I give them nicknames. They give me nicknames. It's, why not? We're here on this planet so short. You know, I'm not going to put a wall between me. I don't want a wall. Mm -hmm. I want to be respected. Yeah, there's, there's, I think there's a lot to a name. It's almost as if, you know, I could be wrong about this, but it's like when, when someone is like demanding that they be called Mrs. Cortez. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that teaches, but it's just like it's almost like a demand for respect, as opposed to like I'm up here and you are down there. It's it's a yeah. It's it's we have uh, we also this it kind of reflects how we teach at the co-op because we are not top down. We are we're almost pretty much level. They have their their five year old experiences that I don't know about, and they have so much to bring to the table with their lives. Uh, so we are we 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 teach each other. It's. They have. They bring a lot of ideas to the classroom, and which where we could explore. Uh, we want to leave it open for that, mm-hmm. and give it the time it needs. The uh, the next thing I want to um, ask you about is, in your opinion, you know, you, you you've been working with children for for twenty years, and children at this age that you work with, what do you think that they're really needing? Oh, well, they need love. <laughs> <laughs> they need to know that they are known, that they are respected, that they are heard. They need their little voices to be heard. And that, that makes them fly. They will, they will just, they just smile and they're just, they're just happy. How do you show them that they're heard? By responding to their little, little words, their sentences, their questions, their, their reflections, their noises, their just response, total response. I can hear everything. I can, I know their voices. I know who's saying what. <laughs> so I just, I can think of their needs before they can even utter them sometimes. So, uh, uh, or just knowing about them and. And when they, the one experience that I witnessed was when they are able to share something that they bring from home. Oh, yeah. I think that really allows them to say, yeah. Hey, this is who I am and let me share this with you. And everyone sits there right. quietly and listens to them and is able to. Really, just put their attention on that one person. Oh, sure, and they write stories, and they 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 write their own stories, and then they get to be the director, and they pick their actors to act their stories out. There are all sorts of throughout the day. They are the masters of their day. They can pick. There's a book chooser who chooses a book to read. There's a song chooser. So it's really in their hands. Mm-hmm. The day, even every day, there's a 
part of them that they get gets to choose where they feel powerful and right. empowered right yeah it's inter- it's always been interesting to me how a high school student you know grade 12 is raising his hand to go to the bathroom oh, yes and then the next day they expect them to you know make all these life decisions on their own like you're raising your hand to go to the bathroom the day before now go out into the world and just and start making decisions start making choices and um it's just interesting that at, at this level five Six-year-olds, they're just—they're picking and choosing what they want to do, and, and I think it good sets a good precedent uh, for them long term. And they know when they have to go to the bathroom, they can go to the bathroom. They just—they just signal it with a quiet hand, and they go. Or maybe they're thirsty, and they go. They get a drink. All those basic needs need to be met. And I think also hunger—they uh, get hungry. Who knows who had breakfast? So we have great snacks, and uh, that takes care of the physical part of them. Which which feeds the mind. I remember um, an experience in kin- kindergarten where I was raising my hand to go to the bathroom, and it's like I needed permission to go. Like I needed, like I wasn't <laughs> able to go unless they said they gave me the go ahead. Right. You know, and I right. thought that was just that's just Ludicrous. that's just the way it is. That's just fine, and I'm supposed to not go because I need permission to. You know, you're supposed to hold it, right. and you have to hold it as long as you can until you get the go ahead. You know, uh, we're painting like a we're painting like this really beautiful picture of what the school is, and I'm sure there are probably sometimes uh, difficult situations. Can you speak to some story well, where there was a difficult situation with a child or a parent, and how you how you dealt with it? Well, generally, you know that everybody, all children, come in different forms and ways and different abilities. So sometimes we have a very free reigning. They have to really learn self direction in our this type of school uh, and they have to be rather independent and they need to be a person that they learn how to be a person that can be trusted and to follow through and, and, and a lot of responsibility is put onto these children so sometimes a child comes to the school and they're not ready for that type of type of situation type of environment and so we have to k- kind of counsel them out a little bit, counsel them out or direct them to a better environment that would be more in line with the way they are learning where they can learn best. best. And that's always hard because you don't want anybody to leave. And so how do you counsel them? Well, we try everything first. You know, we try to we find out what kind of a learner they are and we try to try to meet them best but if it doesn't it doesn't always work out this is not a school for every single every single person in the world you mm-hmm. said that you try to find out what kind of learner they are they're like different types of learners different Can types you- of learner they're visual they could be auditory uh also- so so you're 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 basically instead of just trying to give them information to like you're consciously like trying oh to meet how them. where are they and and what is it that will yeah how will it get them involved in 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 un- in, in understanding where we are and what we're doing, because it could be, maybe they can't see the letters, or maybe they're more auditory, and we need to sound it out. Maybe they need some movement as they say these sounds, so they they need to move when they say it to get it into their brains, mm-hmm. to learn it well, to understand it. So there's many ways. So we try to do everything. We try to taste it. We try to touch it. We try to smell it. It's very sensual. Yeah, there's different types of intelligence, right? So you, a person can be smart, but there's several different ways in which they can be smart. Yes. So you try to use these different um, different types of intelligences to get them engaged, engaged. and to see exactly. where their the light bulb kind of goes off. Exactly. And so let's talk more about project based learning and how that's that's so um, associated with that kind of like every type of 
learning there is to be to be had right. well, in project based learning as opposed to usually in public schools where it's kind of like a one size fits all and we're doing it this way kind and, of and like rote this, learning and in one day yeah in one day right. like and you like better there's some cookie cutter mold that every child should fit in right. if you don't it get that, it then there's something wrong with you right. so um in contrast to that um project based learning is kind of like can you tell us more about well, that it depends. It could be a project that they get to choose. Is it, if you want them to be writing, let them choose a topic that they want to be writing on with limits. They can choose an animal to, to research. Let them choose their own animal. Right. But you choose different. the theme, right? The theme. Basically, yeah. there's these general themes that we know they're interested in. They're all interested in animals. Children love animals. Mm. Uh, so we, and we try to make it relevant to what they've experienced, what they know. If it's a tree, maybe look at adopt a tree in the na- next park mm-hmm. and watch it all year and, and and have a journal to write about it and what it looks like and draw about it. Or I think water has been another theme. So we go to a brook and we look at that and we watch it change through the year and write about it and draw it and touch it and, and walk in it. And, and calculate it, right? You could and calculate yeah. it and map it. Mm-hmm. So we approach things from all different directions. Is it mathematically, scientifically? It can be art. Uh, and so sometimes we even work, work with other specialists in the school to do thematic work and to even learn it deeper and in different ways. So that's where you get the different learning styles. Mm-hmm. So if so they you can target them right in different them. way areas. And then at the end, there's usually the is end. there always or is it just usually at the end where there's kind of like celebration. I, yeah, and I went to like almost like a fair yeah. where all the parents are then invited and the children get to exhibit everything that they, they've done, done with the theme. Right, exactly. And also the whole school's involved. So they're friends and they're all friends from all ages to eighth grade. That's another thing about the co-op. It's not just five of one class. It's not like five, five kindergarten classes and five first grade classes in one building. It's, it's all, it's one class of every level. And uh, I think that's... And you could have uh, older students coming into into the room with younger students and they work together. Absolutely. They've, they're reading buddies. They have uh, sometimes Spanish buddies and the Spanish class, the older Spanish class will make some Spanish games for them to play and bring it and sort of teach Spanish to them. There's all sorts of things we do together. We there's, Sometimes there's a food drive or pajama drive they do together. So it's, it's, it's very integrated. They even have play dates. They get to know each other so well that they... They could have play dates together. You get to see a, a first grader might go home with a fifth grader mm-hmm. because they're good friends and they, they get along. They want to be with each other. So sweet. And just going back to difficult situations. Well, I guess I want to talk about conflict resolution. Uh-huh. And um, say, you know, you have a buddy, a reading buddy that comes down from fifth grade and you don't want to. You don't want, you know, the five-year-old doesn't want right. to, is yeah. not in the mood to be with their buddy today and doesn't want that or is rude to their buddy and uh-huh. somehow... Yeah. Can you talk to us about how you help children to express themselves? They feel, well, they have to feel the other person's pain. So we try to talk to them and we try to, you know, how would you like it if this happened to you kind of thing? We try to put it back to them and see how they react. And mm-hmm. and we talk to the parent, their parents and tell them how the, your child is having a little difficulty with this reading buddy. And in fact, this year that happened. Parents are very sensitive to what they're, Children say in the, in the evening, and this child said, my reading buddy doesn't pay me. Because sometimes there's more, there's a, it's a smaller class, maybe the seventh grade is smaller. We have 17, so mm-hmm. they're, they're, they might have to double up with, with a kindergartner. 
So there's two kindergartners. An older child has two kindergartners. Mm-hmm. So this this girl said, "I'm not getting any attention." The other my my friend Nancy's getting all the attention from my reading buddy. And so then, so at least the parent is telling me that that's nice, that's good. Now I can. I didn't know about that. Oh, so the child tells the parent, and the sure, parent because they're me. not coming to me, okay. which is what they should be doing. But uh-huh. that's okay. <laughs> so the parent comes to me, tells me about that, and then I could go to the reading buddy and say, "This is how the child is feeling." And then the reading buddy says, "What? It's not true." <laughs> but, but thanks for telling me. But it's it's funny. It's because we are all talking. It's all talking and and communicating. Oh, it never ends the communication. Mm. So they're emailing me. You know, we, the t- all teachers get emails after school, and we respond. And it's kind of twenty four seven. We're all in this together, kind of thing. So it's a conflict resolution. It's you know, we we try to have the children instead of talking to me, complaining. Well, they need to talk to each other. So if there's two kindergartners having a problem, they need to first talk to each other if we're telling me about it. And you teach them how to do that? We try to give them words if they can't. I, I'm, I'm standing there listening and helping them. But they need to look each other in the eye instead of complaining to me about the way somebody else is behaving. Mm-hmm. First that. Yeah. And then and then they, that's what they're doing. I don't want, it's not, it's not my issue. It's their issue. I will help you. If they can't do that, then I help them. But usually, they're by the end of the year, they're talking to each other instead of complaining to me. Or yeah, and that I love that because because you're. I just I just imagine that that situation in the playground, like oh well, he's bothering me, as opposed to like taking responsibility, like teaching a child to take responsibility for themselves, addressing the person that they have a conflict with, and looking them in the eye. I think. I mean. I think it'd make your job easier. Like if, yeah, if you, let you know, them do it. Like teach, teaching them how to fish. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's another level of empowerment for them to be able to know that. Okay, I'm feeling this is bothering me, and what should I do about it? Okay, or even do you teach them uh, to say to each other? You know, when you said that, that really made me sad exactly. to be able to even the, identify that right, and to the feeling, be able the to feeling. How did you feel? Yeah, that happened. Yes, absolutely. To right, identify and verbalize it and, and tell it to somebody, tell it to a friend, or right. maybe who, who thinks maybe not such a good friend. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, they're really exposing themselves and making themselves vulnerable. Mm. But so we we try to impa- give them that courage. But if it doesn't work, mm. there's another level. Right. You know, so the I'm sorry. You know, if the kid responds. In a very flippant way. It doesn't really mean I'm doesn't, sorry, but right, just says right, it to right. shut him up, kind of. <laughs> right. We we point that out. And we, um, that doesn't sound, you know, that, that kind of voice. How about your tone? Tone is a lot, means a lot. We demonstrate different tones of speaking. And uh, a lot of role model, a lot of modeling in front of them. But even, and when they don't listen, if they don't listen mm. to either their their fears or myself, then they need to leave the space. And they need to, until they're ready to listen. Mm-hmm. There is a limit. They need to learn. There yeah. is a limit. And, okay. and, and how does that, and how does that happen? And they just, they just say, okay, I'm sorry, you're out. And they know, they just walk out. <laughs> it's fine. Everything's and fine. Where do they there's, go? There's few words. It's just, they go to a chair a little farther away. Mm-hmm. But they're not like sent to time out or something. It's no. just like. And when they're ready, they know they can come back. Yeah, just a little bit of space. Right, a little bit of space. Don't bother us. We are busy here. We're working. When you want to work, come, come, please come and join us again. Mm-hmm. Or when Very you matter of fact. Forward. You know, it's okay. You know, it's a conflict resolution. Yeah, it's a big part of our social cur- curriculum. Through the, till eighth grade, they have, it comes in many different forms, but it continues throughout eighth grade. There are, I think in the upper school, they have something like compliments and 
concerns and they sit and they talk, I think every day at the end of each day and they make compliments to one another. It's not just griping. Mm -hmm. So it's very lovely. It's nice to be acknowledged. Yeah, we have we have an exercise that we do with each other, and it's called the appreciate, resent exercise, where oh. we just sit down, we face each other, you know, connect with each other eye to eye, and for three minutes, I'll say, I appreciate you for, or I resent you for, just using those sentence stems for three minutes, and then she and then she goes, and so I'm we not basically allowed to interrupt him while he's oh, uh-huh. right, verbalizing, right. and and we do that for three minutes each and then we do it for two minutes each and then one minute each and it kind of just clears the air of it just kind of presses like the reset button and the exercise that you talked about reminds me a lot about that yeah because if you hold stuff in then it leads to a lot of resentment yeah it builds up and uh it happens uh children think they don't like some friends in the classroom and what we try to do is talk to parents those two parents and say okay have a play date Get to know each other outside of school. Mm. Get to have this another experience together on someone's turf. And that really breaks it up. That really helps mm. the feeling of animosity, if there are any. Wow. Instead of just saying, just stay away from each other. Yeah, right, know. right, right. No, go together. Yeah. Go together. <laughs> because, you you know, there's got, you got a lot in common. There's no reason mm. for you to feel that way. We're all human. You know, you, you gave us a really good picture of of what this kind of school is like and and i think it's important because i think a lot of parents they're just you know they think that there is just the, like the only option is a public school and it's good to see a, you know a good contrast of what else is out there and what other options are available and um it just sounds absolutely amazing uh what you're doing there and i appreciate you taking the time to to share yeah. all these things with us and there's there's a question that we ask everyone that that we interview and it's and it's not completely related to the school but and the reason why we ask it is that we want to learn a really good way in how to relate with parents that are being um either abusive verbally or physically with their children so it's the typical example of like if you saw another parent at the grocery store or Walmart or or wherever and you saw them, you know, being, uh, you know, abusive in some way. Do you have any personal stories of witnessing anything like that? And if so, did you intervene? Or do you have any recommendations on how to get involved, maybe to do it in a way that's productive? That's a toughie. I, uh, at this school, there's, there's not too much of that going on. But they do, Some I've seen families talk or parents talk in front of their children about things they shouldn't be talking about their child or other people's child, and that that's not correct. And so I just, I take my arm and I hook it into their arm and we kind of walk away or turn away and say, not now, or don't, this is not the place, you know, not in front of your child's ears, just to, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't something that they should hear. I just tell, just bring it to their attention that they have ears and they can hear everything and they are, they are really listening all the time, especially when you don't want them to. So just be very conscious of that. And, uh, but if, if parents, if you see parents, it's, it's, a it's a very sensitive topic. Sure is. It that's, sure and that's why, is. And that's why we ask, cause it, um, like for me, there's, there's that place of like, you know, if I do get involved in some way, maybe I can make this worse, yes. you know? Yes. And I'm just looking for like a really, you know, productive way to, to intervene in some way that will mm. be like helpful for everyone involved, like a mutual 
benefit. And that's why yeah. I asked that question. Uh, it might have to be in a posit- somehow positive. Oh, I know. I've had my child used to do that. I did that. My child did that too. And this is how I handled it. Something more positive and some kind of, uh, not in a negative way. It seemed like by saying something like that, like connecting with them connecting first, first going back right. to connecting and relationships, connecting, like right. making, having that, that commonality yeah, first. Or, yeah. Or, there's, um, there's a practice in the books that we, that we read, uh, getting the love that you want. It was a, an, an exercise for expressing anger. And when, so when we, we would express anger to each other, the person that's listening has to listen as if the person that's angry with you is a wounded child. Like just, like just uh-huh. put that mindset, that frame of reference on it. And it's a good idea to, to relate with the parent first, to meet them where they're at, connect with them first. Well, they're strangers. It's also, they're in the supermarket and they're strangers. So, whoo. Uh, so that's not easy. So what do other people say? <laughs> All those people that you've asked. Well, you put everybody on the spot like that. What was it that Shelly said? Oh, uh, we got to listen to episode one for that one. <laughs> I'm sure I've made mistakes in in the you know with my children. You know, we all, make, we all make mistakes. We all have our, we all get you know we get angry and, and sometimes it's it's hard to control and and maybe what happens afterwards is more important than happens in that moment. Mm-hmm. Sure, and and we don't know what happens afterwards. Maybe you know a big talk. I'm sorry, I did. I know it wasn't right, and this is why it wasn't right. And but we don't know that. That's right, and and if we're willing to grant adults. Like, oh, well, you made a mistake and we forgive you. I think we should be able to. If we do that with children. Do that with children as well. Right, right. Give them this, you know, be consistent with, with right, them when they are, when they throw a tantrum or, or whatever it is. It's like, well, you can forgive them because I can forgive an adult for doing this. Right. I could, I could forgive a child just as easily. But I like that, that role playing that, 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 that angry adult becomes a child mm-hmm. when you're listening to them because basically that's what we are when we're angry. We revert to these. This youngness. This yeah, you're not getting some met like need, need right. and some need met right. that's causing that anger. Right. Thank you for taking a stab at that. <laughs> it's a really, I know it's a difficult question, and um, and that's why I mean that's why I do ask it. If if people wanted to get in touch with you and learn more about what you're doing uh, at, at your co-op or just have any questions. Where could people find you? Oh, I'm always at the co-op. Like, like as the rest of the crew, we're always there. Sat weekends after school all the time. I come to the co-op at 65 Chestnut Street. It's a great place in Montclair, New Jersey. Or I've got an email address, Hillary Fandel. That's H-I-L-A-R-Y-F-A-N-D-E-L at Montclair Coop, one word, C-O-O-P dot org. So, oh, it'd be great to talk about children. Or, or come to the school. It's great to talk to you. Thank you so yeah, much. Thank you so much. Thank this you. is really Thank enjoyable. You. We learned a lot. Lovely. We would love for you to visit our website at agileparents.com, A-G-I-L-E-P-A-R-E-N-T-S.com. We have resources there for improving relationships. And if you subscribe to our email list, we'll send you our personal and private relationship vision. So come on over and join the Agile Parents community. We truly hope that this podcast will be an indispensable resource for you and your family. If you find value in this podcast, please go to iTunes and subscribe. Give us a rating and a five-star review. Doing that is a tremendous support to the show and the message we're trying to spread. Thank you so much for joining us on this journey, and we'll see you next time.